Hello, this is Black Country Blokes Chewing the Fat. Listen, listen, listen. I've been hearing a lot lately about men don't talk. But in my experience, men do talk, just people aren't listening. So it's going to be me and a group of blokes discussing our struggles and victories through life. Warning, there may be some bad language, so apologies to all the mums, especially on my own. Let's get going. Listen, listen, listen. Have been, yeah. It's the Black Country Blokes chewing the fat. With me, Kev Dillon, Lee Cabman and Craig Finches. Now, unfortunately, Stephen Antle couldn't make it tonight with stuff going off in the real world. Before we start our show tonight, I'd just love to give a massive shout out to RNL Gentlemen's Barbers, who just showed how brilliant and wonderful the Black Country is, uh, raising thousands of boxes of chocolates, and again, Father Christmas, Mrs. Claus, on the back of the horses, delivering chocolates all around this area. So massive respect to Ben Tyler and everyone who was involved. It just shows what a community can do. Now, tonight's episode is going to be about how us men don't always go to the hospital. Now, Lee was saying 50% of women, what is it, Lee? There's 50% more women going to the doctors than us. Yeah, so it's 50, um, yeah, excuse me now. You've said the backwards to what I would say. So (laughs) men are 50% less likely to go to the doctors if they've got an ailment than women. And and then what that happens is because men have already got a higher mortality rate, we die early from women, and that can be down to suicide. We're down to stress levels, and it could be. So women notice something wrong, they go. And of course, we only go when we're very, very sick. And me and Craig were talking about this earlier, saying, we've got to that age now, when something starts going wrong, we've got to start getting a checked out gang. And I'll tell you a story before we get into it, about when I was about 20, I had a testicle infection. And uh, because I didn't go to the docs in time, it swelled, it swelled, and eventually, the poison leaked out of my testicle into my blood and I had to be rushing to hospital. And once again, my poor mother thought I was going to die. That's because we put it off. Because it's about our private parts and we're a bit embarrassed about getting it out. And that can ta- that can cost our lives. Same with prostate cancer. By having that uncomfortable test to save your life. Have you? Uh, what was you saying earlier, Lee, about your Nicky? Yeah, so N- Nicky had um, two moles removed. Um, I don't know, six weeks ago now, we had the, the test results back today. Um, and basically it was saying the, although she's fine, she's they're not can- She's not got cancer now, the moles that she had removed were ugly. Um, and if she'd have waited any longer, um, they would have turned cancerous. Um, and I think to myself, well, if that was me, I know I'd have waited without a doubt. I couldn't tell you the last time really that I went to the doctors. Um and I've been like that throughout, throughout adulthood. You know, I've gone 10 years without seeing a doctor. So we were yeah, talking... Sorry, Craig. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm exactly the same. You know, my partner's got that. She, she goes absolutely spare at me because I can be, I can have something wrong with me, something internally as well, not just an headache. Or, you know, I could feel something really sharp in my gut or I could be going to the toilet too often and this, that and the other, or struggle going to the toilet. And, you know, cancer runs in my family, bowel cancer on my dad's side. You know, two, one of my, my brother and my younger brother had to have uh, some of his bowel removed and had to have a bag on. He's due to have a reversal. And my two sisters have just got the news 
and they're only like two, three years older than me. They've just got the news. They both go go through the procedure. My one sister's got over one thousand polyps covering. I think it's about fifteen inches of a of a bowel. And um, I had a scare last year, and it took my missus ages to get me to go. And I was saying to him today because I've had to have an ECG on my heart and that today, um, and get checked for certain things myself. And I said to him, I said, I don't, I don't over like, I'm not one to worry about my health as such. It'll be. Take medication. Now it'll pass. It'll pass. I'm all right. Go to the doctors. I'm okay. Go to the hospital. I've got to be dying to go to the hospital and doctors. Um, but because I've been feeling like I've had things wrong with my heart, I've been to have an ECG today. I've got some blood tests booked in. But it took my missus years to get to a point where I'll go. I mean, the last time I went to the doctors or hospital was I had my camera last March, I think. So, and that was only because a lump was found um, and they, the doctors rushed me through and they were scared it was cancerous. Um, and they gave me a camera because of my family history and that came back all clear and I've not been since. I, I don't know bother going. I've had the camera up my backside as well twice and it's not as uncomfortable as people think it is, guys. So, you know, you can be asked to be put out if you want, but it's just one of those things. We've got to put that bit of embarrassment and uncomfort behind us, literally behind us. <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story. I went to, I went to have mine, mine doing at Russell's Hall. And about a fortnight before, someone who was putting the camera up, um, uh, the woman was, was knocked out. And as she woke up, there was a letter asking her out. So as I went down, went down to the, um, the procedure, I said to the nurse, well, before anything happens, I'm a very happily married man. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you've got to you got to take it like lightheartedly, ain't you? Sometimes, um, you know, it's like like my dad when he obviously he nearly died from it, and he wouldn't go for years and years and years. He wouldn't go. Um, apparently, he had signs, according to some uncles of mine, he had signs back in his twenties um, of bowel cancer, and he or because his mom died of it back in the sixties, so it was in the family, so he should have got checked. And my dad's one of them. He hates doctors. He hates hospitals. Um, and he, he did go, and then he nearly died in 2016, early 50s. He collapsed, and what had happened is because he hadn't gone, he suffered all these years with the symptoms. Because he hadn't gone, his bowel perforated, and he nearly died of something that's called peritonitis, which is basically the shit poisoning your your body. If if I'm correct, so the ironic thing is the thing that he should have got checked out because he had the genes for and he had the symptoms of that ain't really what nearly killed him directly. It was like a byproduct of not getting that looked at. Well, it's through having food poisoning and then having the camera and everything. I found out I've got hemochromatosis. Now, hemochromatosis means that my blood absorbs too much iron. So every bit of iron, every steak I have, every Guinness, every whatever, my body absorbs that. And the only way of getting rid of it is by having a vinisection, which is like an injection that long, stuck in your arm, and they have to bleed the iron and the ferritin out. Now, before um, I was diagnosed with this, I've been petrified, a lifetime fear of injections, for having viral meningitis and having lumbar punctures and steroid injections. And then when I had to have this every week for over a year, draining the blood edge, because that you should be under like about 100 or so. I was under 2,000. So I had to go, and then I still have to have that done every so many months. But it's amazing. You know, if I hadn't have had 
food poisoning and they would just search for everything. They wouldn't have found out I had such high iron in my body. And the doctor said, because I'm a drinker as well, and he said, it's amazing how my liver didn't just perforate. He says, because the, with hemochromatosis, the iron the, um, rests on your joints. That's why you get arthritis. That's why my hands, my feet are always hurting. But it also rests on your liver, your pancreas, your heart. So, and when you're feeling run down, you're taking all the supplements, you're taking iron supplements because you might be anemic. It's the worst thing you could do. So I was taking multivitamins, vitamin C, because if you run down, you take vitamin C. But the vitamin C gets the iron into your body more. So everything I was mm. doing, being a self-diagnosed doctor, Googling and you're a bit run down, take some iron, take some vitamin C, was buggering me up. So by luck, by luck, I managed to have a great GP at the time, his name was Dr. Hughes, got me in and, you know, potentially saved my life. See, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be interested to see of that percentage, they were less likely to go. I'd be interested to see what their age range was because, like myself, my mom and my dad and my nans and whatever else, they've always got a home remedy for every ailment they've got a they've got a cure. You know, you know, TCP. You know what I mean? Slap that on it, or you you need like you say, you need some Guinness down, or you need some of this down, yeah. Well, and it'd be interesting to see what age them percentages was because. I know a lot of the time, like, I'm probably from my dad's neck of the woods. I'm quite old-spirited myself. So I'm quite old-fashioned in I do things how they did them, you know, 30, 40 years ago. And I'm only 32 myself. And, you know, and, like, it would also be interesting to see why they don't if you run a survey. Because we can all speculate why we think. But is it because they call me arse? Because men, I'm usually just... When procrastinators, a lot of us are fucked to call be asked. You know what I mean? It'll pass. I've got to go all up there. I've got to sit. I've got to tell my shit to the doctor for him to just prescribe this. It's going to cost me over the counter, you know, or whatever it is. I call be asked. It'll pass in a few days. But Or is it because they're scarred by something? Because I know my dad, he thinks his fears of hospitals come when he was a little boy. He was, I think, <laughs> I think he must have pinched my uncle's push bike or something. But my uncle had loosened the nuts on the front. And I think what he'd done is he tried, if I remember it right, I think he tried to wheelie. And as he's come down, obviously, it's just the handlebars. <laughs> and he's like, he's, he's at most of the ground, the gravel. And I think he's, to hear him talk, his face was in the state. They had to, at the hospital, they had to pick gravel out. And it would have been a, a big butch nurse back then, you know, not as subtle with the hands, probably punched it out of him. <laughs> and I think that I think that is that that was his reasoning that it was like something from his childhood made him so as he he never ever liked him. So you know that's what be interesting just, to see. That's that's, that's interesting. Just... That is because from when I was reading about this this stat, um, they put it down to masculinity that we we were perceived to be too tough for the doctor to you know but i think you're right craig because i think about myself and it's it's I, I don't you know i'm not scared of the doctor i'm not scared of going but most of the time it is like that's like ah, just give it a week and it'll be it'll be done by the time i got to the doctors and done this and done that it'll probably be over with so you just let it ride don't you but it usually uh, does be over with yeah i've got a couple of things to say like as i say like my trauma as a child left me frightened of needles and hospitals I'm all right with them now because I had to have the sections all the time. So I went for hypnosis to get over my fear of injections. But back to what you were saying about masculinity, I think some people, that, that does get in the head, 
I, I'm too strong, it won't beat me. And then sometimes that's just a mask because they're frightened of, well, hang on, how about if I have got cancer? How about if I have got Parkinson's? In some ways, I'd rather find out, Mr. Dylan, you've, you've left it too long and you've got two days than actually hearing of it. And Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. or they've had, they're like the mother or father who've had chemotherapy for years and they've lost the dignity. And I, I've met people about my parents' age just going, I don't want what my mum and dad went through. I'd rather it just take me. Do you know, you know what I find like interesting about people that say it's masculinity and it's, oh, he's got to be the tough guy and this, that and the other. Same with mental illness um, and, and why men don't open up. I think that is, it's lazy journalism and it's a cop-out. So it's a cop-out excuse where people don't have to seek the real reason because, I mean, I think it's like if you don't know how to do something or how to go about it. If you only know how to be this modern man or this tough person, because that's what your dad was, that's what your granddad's was. It's not that you don't want to open up. It's not that you don't want to go to the doctors. You just sort of think, well, they was all right. I'm going to be all right. Or now I talking about that. My dad never spoke to me about it. And that even if you don't think it consciously, you subconsciously, I'm aware of, of your upbringing and, and, and what you was around. I mean, not going to the doctors is what ultimately killed my granddad back in the, the late 90s, my one granddad, because he, I think he stroked. I think he stroked coming back. He was 56, coming back. He was at work. And my nan said to him when he got back, what do you want for Tay? You know, the usual routine. And he says, I've had it. And I says, you've just walked in the door, Mark. You I had it. I've had me Tay. And then he stroked on the chair. And I reckon he'd had, he'd had many strokes while he was driving. I don't know if it was a coach or a bus or a wagon. And he'd never go to the doctors, ever. You know, and that ultimately killed him because if he'd have gone with any symptoms he was probably living with for so many years and not telling anyone, he could have saved his life. Uh, on the flip side... I'm sorry. Go on, Lee. Well, that's interesting, though, isn't it, Craig? Because I wonder if the, the boundaries between mental health and get seeking help and... Because it, it's it's easier to seek help if you've got an ailment that's physical, isn't it? Yeah. So if we start breaking down that boundary of that, because that needs doing by the sounds of it, that we need to break down the boundary of a physical illness going to the doctors. And it's acceptable. Isn't it? I don't think any men, it is just masculinity at that point, isn't it? So if we break that the... down, does it make it easier then to break down the stigma of mental health? But you know what I find the problem is there's too many there's too many sides to a coin. You've got it's push and pull. I suppose it's like being in in a separated household. You know, mom's divorced from dad, and then you've got your mom's rules and what your mom deems as acceptable, and you've got your dad's rules and his family. So it's like I, you know, I go to the doctors. I ain't speaking about mental health. I'm not doing this. And you've got some that's going to be like, hey, go on then, and then you've got some who's going to be saying you should do it. And then on the flip side, when they do do it, you've got some people saying, oh, he's a fucking titty. Don't shut up, that one. Don't shut up moaning about yourself. And then you've, you, you know what I mean? It's like double standards that you're always trying to meet. And that's, well, how, that's about, how I feel society is. How about this one then? Both, the, both parts of it, like saying, having your testicles examined or your prostrate or going about something private, intimate moments, is the same about your mental health. You're having to confess your soul to that person. 
So maybe it's the, the intimacy or the lack of, um, mm. the fear of lack of understanding, you know, having your bits messed with or having your soul, your, your mind messed with. They're both very personal, private areries, aren't they? It'd be an, inter- that'd that'd be an interesting survey, wouldn't it, to see which one men think, think feel it'd be worse to do? Say, so look, look how you grew, look how you were, you were raised. I mean, probably different, and you're probably going to say it's an inappropriate raising of my mum and dad. Retail, they raised us good. But, so growing up, your private areas were that thing that you want to hide. Quick, get dressed, your auntie's coming in. You know what I mean? Or when it's out, ah, tickle tackle, look at little Willie. You know, it was always, and and that's how we. I mean, my dad will do it now tomorrow, boys. He'll say, you know, look at the little Willie. Ah, he's got his diddler out. And it, even though it's it's tongue and cheek, it's laughing, it's joking. You learn the shame, or you learn that they are your private bits, and they should be hidden. You learn that as a child by people mocking you or saying, "Quick, get dressed, your mom's coming in," or "Quick, get dressed," you know, rush to get dressed before anybody sees. Now, I do understand the message, but if we apply that to like your mental health as well, and that same principle to your mental health, that's pretty much the same thing. When you're growing up in a certain area, be it your peers, be it your family, you're you're sort of taught, even if it's just light-hearted ridicule, just tongue and cheek, you're sort of taught that that that's your private bits and quick hide them before somebody sees them. But if you talk to like the Swedish and people like that who are very open nudists and they'll go into shared saunas and hot baths and everything, and their genitalia or the nakedness is no matter, it is what it is, just what you know, you're born with. And they, they once, as you just said, are some of the most open people who will just go, how are you? Well, I'm very bad. Why are you very bad? Whereas the British were very prudish in body and in conversation. Yeah, I think that's true too. Book me a flight to Sweden, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's when they stop. It's when they start going, oh, look at his little tinky. I thought you were nice. <laughs> that's it, uh, I'm, I'm going to somewhere else. But that's, that's what I'm... That's what I'm, I'm going to... I even say nothing because you're going to say it's out of order. Let's just move on. Um, but that's that's what I believe. Like, you, even... It's not designed... Uh, my mum and dad never used any malice when we was kids, like you've got a small this or you need to hide that embarrassing thing. It wore, it was just tongue and cheek, but tongue and cheek carries on into life and you use it then to excuse your not opening up about real matters. You know, I and think, that's... But I think nowadays, folks, I'm like that with my daughter and I'm saying like, um, don't let people see your private bits because everyone's got a, um, a mobile phone now, and I'm trying to educate you how to buy you, not to show privates off in their special places. So I think you're right what you're saying, but then the other side as a parent, we're going about it the other way, not saying be ashamed of your body, but don't let strangers look at it because that's your private area. So it's it's a very tricky subject, isn't it? And this is what I mean by when I say, like, we've always got a double standard that we need to meet. There's like a criteria within each standard that is suitable and applicable to our situations, but you can't, them in two pools. So that criteria, you can't interlock them. You can't like choose from that and choose from that and make an ideal situation. We've got like a double standard that we're trying to appease and you're never going to be, I don't think you can do it. Like, I don't think you can open up about your vulnerabilities, but then, do you know what I'm trying to say? It's, you're trying to like meet double standards within society. 
But I think back to what Lee was saying about, I think it would be a great survey if someone did say, well, what would you rather do? Go and have um, a prostate check where someone sticks a finger up your bum to feel the prostate or to talk about your mental health and talk about your vulnerabilities. Because I, I well, think, as Lee said, like, that could be one of the reasons why more of us blokes are completing suicide because we're too frightened to go and ask for the help. Well, the, the thing is, Kev, mo most, if, you're, if you're having a prostate check, that's kind of forced on you, isn't it? You've, you've gone to the doctor at that point and he's going, right, that's what you need to do. With mental health, there's no one, there's no one to do that, is there? You know what I mean? There's no, no one to, to, to go, actually, you do need to go and, and, and have this done. It's, it's, it's urgent. You need to go and talk to this person. You need to go into that. Whereas, as I say, your prostate is kind of, there's something wrong with me. This is what we've got to do to find out what's wrong. So, you, you know, it's more of a forced situation. But even mm, then, look, when you've got something going wrong, then you've got the choice of saying, no, I don't want it. No, I don't. Yeah. Um, because sometimes the embarrassment's worse than the things that could potentially save your life. That, yeah, that well, that's what exactly, I'm saying. That's what that's I'm saying. Exactly the, 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 the Because you have to do it. You kind of, the embarrassment goes out the window as such then, doesn't it, in terms of you've got to get it done. So you'll go and do it. Whereas your, your mental health, you, you probably wouldn't have had, Unless you're at the absolute rock bottom, you you you're not forced into that situation. Then, um, and it depends to, to talk about it. And it depends if someone is there to pick up on the signs. Signs, because that's it. the great the great thing about what I've seen within mental health is how well people can hide it. And one of my very good friends is a for a, a high functioning person with mental health, and he often said, "If I wasn't." Um, if I was too frightened, he goes, my anxiety of getting on the bus, my anxiety of going to the shops, my anxiety of talking to people is so great, but I force myself to do it. Because even though he's got mental health, he's got a lot of mental strength. But if he was the other way and it overtook him, he'd get a lot more help. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think, like, go, going back to um, like the doctor situation, I, I went through a period of time where it was... You know, I'd say to my missus, if I've got it, I don't want to fucking know. Mm. And I think some of that could be, here's a question for you. Would you, if you had something wrong with you or you felt there was something wrong with you, it wasn't causing you too much pain, but you knew something wasn't quite right, would you go to the doctors and want to find out that it's something really bad and then you're going to spend the next months or years, that's going to consume your life? Or would you rather pour it with a little pain or the little discomfort of what it's causing you and live not knowing what it is do you, do you know what I mean and that that's what I went through a, like a lot of the time I thought if I've got it I don't want to know I want to enjoy the time I've got here you know what I mean if it takes me it takes me but you know but I've changed now <laughs> but on the flip side when you're a daddy or a mommy then you then you think well is this hereditary? And you, I think once you become a parent, you do start thinking more about, well, if you can fix me, I want to be around it to see my children or my grandchildren. Yeah. Or is it something that, oh, because many of our grandparents must have probably had stuff like hemochromatosis, which is a genetic thing, and it can miss out on like, parents and everything. But many of them people must have had these conditions they just never knew about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when like your granddad, he, he died at, 56, I think my nanny Joan died of cancer at 57. But, you know, if, but if their parents or their parents' parents have had it, 
it had just been they'd died in their sleep because those tests weren't available then. Yeah, and I think that's really, I think I'm pretty sure my nan died in the I think my dad was about four when my nan died. Um and she died, I think, from complications through bowel cancer. I believe she died on the operating table. But you're talking about the the, the mid nineteen sixties, yeah, where it was probably probably a, a relatively new concept this this can see they have all the treatments you didn't have all the the research and and the equipment and the technology you know technological advances and that she she died of that now my dad nearly died of it because he didn't get the symptoms checked but he's still here you know he don't sleep he's in he's in pain um his ass his back he's whatever else i think he may have arthritis in his spine so i think he's waiting on tests for that and my mom said to me the other day don't sleep you know he he paces this. He paces the bungalow that they live in. He'll have to have a hot shower on the hottest setting, three o'clock in the morning, to try and ease the pain. Now, my dad don't tell us this. He'll get up sometimes and say, "My arse is hurting or my back's hurting," but he won't tell us he's up all night. You know, with with a bad back, he'll literally get in the prayer position on his like kneeling on the floor and lean on the bed to just try and get some sleep. Now, my dad won't tell us that. He hasn't told us that. You know, I never seen my dad cry until he come out of hospital when he had to, you know, when when he died. Um, he, he was very emotional. And I think that's that's still what I've been raised. That That's still within me. I'm that kind of person that I think, you know what I mean? Fuck it. it nobody, not everyone needs to know that you're in pain. Well, on the flip side, I think by doing what we're doing here and having frank conversations... I think our children will have a different experience to what we had and what we had to our parents had. And I think, you know, by having frank and honest conversations, like we've talked about before, Lee, when you can say to your children, well, dad's a bit upset or dad's having a bit of a wobble or, you know, giving them as much knowledge without scaring them, but giving a knowledge into ourselves and into situations within the house. Well, how, how do we, playing devil's advocate here a little bit, how do we create people that go to the doctors, like encourage people to go to the doctors, open up? And it's like, how do we like stop that from becoming it's normal to want to or have to go to the doctors? If you know what I mean? Slight headache, doctors, you know, slight backache, doctors. How how do we encourage them without creating and I'm gonna say this this term now, which like it's a it's a you know, a modern term, how do we do that without creating a snowflake generation as such? Well, my wife worked for 909, the ambulance course, down the waterfront um, on the ambulances for years. And she said the amount of people have found up wasting times. And that's that's why I was so glad when we had uh, Chris on from the Samaritans and the Pirates who were there to talk to you about mental health. So instead of phoning up the ambulance, but you you don't know the Samaritan's number, you don't know the Paris number, so you phone up 999. And we've got to realise, 999, if, if I break my nose scrapping or I fall over and I break my leg, as long as I can get into Kate's car and she can drive me there, I should make my own way there. The ambulances should be if you can't get your own way to the hospital or if it is an emergency. Like she's had mm. people phoning up when uh, she, they're in the waiting room phoning up saying, uh, can you make a money up? That's not what the ambulance is for. The ambulance is for when you're in a, an emergency to get you there. And I think yeah. if, you, if you've if you got symptoms, go to the doctors, but realise 
if we are wasting the time, you know, I mean, a hypochondria, you know, that could be someone else's time. What do you think? Well, then you've, obviously, you've had all your daughter's problems and everything. I'd, uh, it's an awkward one, isn't it? Because obviously you want more men to visit the doctors, but you, there never seems to be a balance in this world, does there? It's, it's <laughs> the same with everything. It's like, it's like mental health now. It's exactly like mental health now. You get these days a year that everyone jumps on it. Absolutely everyone jumps on the... And don't, you know, that's that's great, but it, you've got to do that year round and it's got to be consistent. You can't, you know, you can't go one way or the other. If you are struggling, get help. But if, you, if you're struggling because you want to be, you want to struggle on Instagram or you want a photo of yourself struggling or whatever, then just leave it alone because you're just wasting everyone's time. I think, though, like with hypochondria and things like that, though, people can't, the problem with that is people can't often determine, like, to them it is real, to Mm. them they are struggling, or to them they are dying, or, you know, and like you say, there's never a balance, and it's, life is never as cut and dry as we would like it to be. Um, You know, when you're dealing with people, they're the most finick subject in the world, that, you know, there's there's nothing more complicated. You know, animals can be studied. And when animals are studied, you know, Attenborough, you know, you can watch Attenborough programs. It can tell you their methods. It can tell you why they're doing something and this and the other. They can be studied and they can be like the, what's the word I'm looking for? They can be described by their patterns of behavior. Whereas humans... They can't. They act out for no reason. They do this. We still can't get beyond the human mind, yet we can determine why lions hunt from that amount of time away, you know. Well, I think Lee now is on the air. All we've got now is black and white. Everything. But if, if I keep going to doctor, because I've got a tummy ache, look, you see the adverts on TV. If you've had a cough more than three weeks, you might have cancer. If you have diarrhea for more than three weeks, you might have bowel cancer. So then you think, oh, my God, guys, if you're not feeling well, Burn up your GP, go and see them. If you're feeling mentally unwell or mentally ill, hell, whatever, go and see someone. Because there, there is so many shades of grey between that black and white. And what, what's the extreme um, version of hypochondria? I can't remember the name. Uh, do you know what I'm on about? Where you pretend you're, you're ill and then, by pro- and then the other ones where you pretend your children are ill. If anyone knows, could you write that in? I had it just, I forgot it. Have you read any comments, by the way, Lee? No, no, nothing. No comments yet. Okay. I, I can't remember the name of it. Um, I don't know. It's where, honest. It's, it's where no, you're mate. like, you, you're like, you'll pretend you've got cancer and you'll keep going. And then uh, there's the other version. I can't remember the bloody name. Where you make your child ill to get the sympathy. It's like, um, you know, when people are going to set fire to a house, you set fire to your house and then um, you'll go and rescue everyone so you look like you're the hero. I know what you're on about, and I'll, I'll call think of what it is, Eva. It's narcissism. <laughs> no, it's not narcissism. It's, but that's it's, the, it's that's it's very Stockholm extreme Syndrome, version. mate. We'll, no, we'll Stockholm Syndrome. Stockholm <laughs> Syndrome is where you're kidnapped and you uh, you fall in love with your kidnappers. Munchausen. Munchausen Syndrome. Munchausen uh, Syndrome. And then Munchausen by proxy is where you make your children poorly or someone you love poorly. But that's the very high version of um, hypochondria. Bloody hell, they have some big words from me, will they? <laughs> and your alpha boys this morning, are you, Kev? Who, who's oh, in the background? Who are you trying to impress, mate? 
<laughs> oh, Banana. by the way, guys, we um, I've been interviewed again by the Express and Star. Big thank you to those. So we should be coming again sometime this week in um, in the week. So if you see us, tag us in on our page. Yeah, it's all um, about spreading the word. Spreading the word, and that's all we're trying to do, getting us blokes to talk around the country, well, around the world now, because we've got listeners in Thailand, Holland, Australia, America, uh, all around the place, Israel, obviously, uh, and all these different places. <laughs> obviously, Kev. So click, share, and please subscribe to our channel. But, uh, but, <laughs> but uh, you know what? I was thinking, I was just thinking about my own experience with, with getting uh, mental health help. So, in when was it 2019 um, I went for an eye test, and the eye test showed because they take photos of you, the back of your eyes now, don't they? I was only going for glasses, they take photos of your eyes and whatever else. And uh, he and the optician there said to me. You need to go and see the doctor. You, you could tell by my the veins in my eyes that my blood pressure was high. And no one knew I was stressed out. I'd had a, we'd had a bad year with Calla and a, a lot had gone on and, and whatever else. And I didn't get help from the doctor. And it was only, I think now, if he had, if I hadn't gone for that eye test and he hadn't picked that up, would I have gone to the doctor? Which then put me into counselling and kind of started that process off. And I think now, where would I be if that hadn't have happened? Because I know it was getting to me at that point, and I know I wouldn't, I wouldn't have gone forward if it wasn't for that. Well, our brother, That's... Dr. Singh, who's been on the show talking about the coronavirus, he's an eye surgeon. And if you remember, lads, off air, he was telling us about that, wasn't he? Yeah. He's saying so many things you can spot in the eyes are early signs of bigger problems. Mm. And a massive shout out to Dr. Singh. What a remarkable man. So, it's unreal. Like they say, they say about your eyes being the window to the soul, don't they? You can see. See absolutely everything within the eyes. We saw it, when I spoke to the doctor Saturday over the phone. He, he asked me. He said, "Are oh, you being?" Because I, I explained to him what was going on with me. There's quite a few problems that I feel physical, um, physiological. And he, in the end, he said, "Are you stressed?" And I said, "Do you know I do go through a lot of shit myself. I put myself through a lot of torment, um, lack of sleep, and, and whatever else. Lie awake." And you bully yourself and you really do. I said, but these past few months, I said, I've been in such a funk that I'm only just coming out of it. He said, you act like I've had headaches again for the past few weeks, especially on the night time they come right behind the eyes. Um, he said, it sounds like, he said, I don't want to say this. We've got to, without speculating, we've got to get your bloods done and whatever else. He said, but it sounds like you could be suffering physiological symptoms of stress and pressure. And it's unreal that just because your stomach's hurting or, you know, you you can't urinate or you can't do this side or the other. Don't always mean to say that there's something wrong with you as such. It could just be that you're under stress. So I think it's important for ourselves to acknowledge what's going on in our life at that time. Two things I want to say about that. Isn't it funny you're saying you're always, because when we we're doing our work with Nick Davis, who's been on the show, hitting a the therapist yeah. life coach, he was saying, like, when we're doing our things, when you feel stressed, you said, my eyes feel very heavy. Mind's my yeah. stomach. And what you're saying at the pressure in your eyes, that was one of your your sensitive areas, wasn't it, that he picked up on? That was, the, he said that to me. Uh, like you say, he said yours was your stomach. He said mine was my eyes. And I always knew that when I was going into an episode, because my eyes would be heavy, like I've had no sleep. 
and they just feel so cloudy. Uh, and I've had that again in the past few weeks, especially on the night. And I remembered Nick actually, and I thought Nick said that this is a sign that you know you you're probably going into the episode if your eyes are your your telltale sign. And I did acknowledge that. Um, and I've tried to be better. I was going to say, and the other thing I was going to say, that us blokes, when we talk about mental health, we'll all admit to stress. We'll all admit to stress, because that's our, our thing, isn't it? I'm doing too much, I'm stressed. But we forget stress is just one of the symptoms of the greater mental health. But that's the one that you, even a, a tough ironmonger, then the pub or a proper tata, and he'll say, I'm stressed, I'm a bit wore out. But that's the only thing us blokes will admit to having. I'm a bit stressed out. That's it because it's it's sort of an it's sort of an umbrella term that sort of it tells you what you think you need to know. I'm stressed, which basically means you've got problems or you're going through shit. But the easier way to say a fucking three day rant about how you're feeling is I'm stressed. I'm just a bit stressed. I'll be all right. It's easy. What, what, what are the factors of stress? It can be a bit of depression. Can be a bit of anxiety. Can be lack of sleep. It could be mental fatigue. It could be all these different things, but we don't know what to say. And you just go, I'm wore out. I'm stressed. I think it's related to work as well, isn't it? People relate Money, to I'd say, work. rather than work. I'd, I'd say money rather than work. But that's work, your yeah, trigger. It might not be Lee's trigger. No, you I'd, could be money. Terms, it could be work. In ter- yeah. terms of in general, people... I'm not saying as us. I think... People say the stress because it relates to, oh, he's working too much. And there's a manliness about working, isn't there? You know what I mean? So whether it's... That's it. oh, so it's explained. Oh, he's stressed. Oh, he's just working. He's at work. And that's something, you know... One man's stress sorry, could be another man... One man's stress could be another man's paradise. You know what I mean? Some people love working. Some people love, love drafting. Work. Some people hate being in the office. Some people love being on the trowel. Some people love spending money. Some people love saving money. So the thing with stress is we all have different things that will set us off. But it, it's not, not necessarily that, you know, it's like I've heard people say, you know, and you say, I'm, I'm sick of work. I'm sick of this job. I'm sick. It's not that a good many will dismiss your stress at work. And it's called workplace stress, isn't it? you know, there's actual terminology for it. But people all turn around and say, ah, you don't want it. You're doing, you're a lazy fucker. Or, ah, you know what I mean? Just get on with it. You're earning money. But it's that it's not as simple as that. It's like factory work. I can't do factory work. You know, I used to do foundries. I used to do factories years ago. I'd do like 12, 14 hour shifts in a foundry, in a hot like Brockner foundry. And anyone that's ever been past there knows it's a shithole. And I'd do long shifts in there. And I feel caged as I feel like a caged animal. It doesn't take long for me to be. If I go in a factory and I'm there for 9, 10, 11, 12 hours a day. It doesn't take long for me to feel that I'm I'm where I don't belong. You know, I'm I'm naturally um, like a creative. I'm a natural creative. And when I've got something there, it's a monotonous job. It's very, you know, it's boring. It's just production line work. And now I'm not knocking anyone that, that does it or still does it because I've done it. But it's just not me. And it's not the fact I'm lazy. It's just it doesn't suit my spirit. It doesn't suit my soul. And when you do something that makes you damn miserable every single day for people you don't want to be with or be around for money that barely pays the bills and gives you, you know, 50 quid at the end of it for your damn self, 
you, you know, no, no rainy day and money, no nothing. When you're doing that out of necessity and not out of sheer want, that's going to cause you stress. That's going to cause you misery. And ultimately, that's going to cause you bigger ripples in a pond. You know, and it's had, not that you're lazy. But I had a good old, a good friend tell me up the other day. He's similar but different. Now, he's, on a, he's got a good job, good pay, but he hates it. He doesn't like the people he works with. He doesn't feel comfortable there. And he knows if he quits it, he's not going to get a job that pays the same. And if he doesn't earn, then no one's earning in his household. So even though he hates the job, the family needs the money. So he feels like he's stuck in the situation. And that could be the same thing, isn't it? Without the financial thing, because the money's the only thing that's keeping him there. But he hates the circumstance. And that makes him feel like his back's against the wall. And that adds to his stress. You know... I wrote something about that once. I can't remember what it was. I'll try and find it. And it was basically, if you could choose any job, take monetary gain out of it, take money out of it, if you could choose any job to do for the rest of your life. In fact, I think I said someone else say this as well. What what would what would you choose? And I used to say to my dad, obviously, mine would be my art, whether it be music or producing or, or something to do with that, entertaining. Like, that's my neck of the woods. Creative writing and, and entertaining. And he said, get a job at Aldi, get a job at that. I said, Dad, I don't want to. He'll say, great, then pay £9 an hour or £10 an hour. I said, Dad, they could pay me a £1,000 an hour and I wouldn't want to be there. You know what I mean? It's, to me, there's, life's bigger than money. money. Money is an horrible necessity that we have to tolerate in this world. And we, we're left chasing the fool's gold. But what do we ultimately sacrifice? You know, we sacrifice our health for it. We sacrifice our time. We sacrifice seeing our kids grow up. Why? For money. Now, you tell me, I've never ever, I've, I've never seen a 20 pound note that I've looked back on 20 years from now and thought, oh, I remember that 20 quid note. Oh, that little crease it had down the face of the queen. You know, I've never looked at that. But I'll think of the time I've lost money to spend a day at the zoo with my kids. You know, but we sacrifice absolutely everything for this money. And and that's where a lot of stress comes from. And that's what I meant by money, by the way. It's not, you know, we don't live in slums. We don't live in shanty towns. You know, we've got running water. We've got food. We've got, you know, electricity, heat. So I don't mean that we're poor in that, that sense. But I do mean that like, I think we're emotionally poor in the sense that we have to live in these conditions and we have to work these. I mean, jobs and what, nine quid an hour? Look at the cost of a loaf of bread. You know what I mean? They they raise the, the minimum wage every couple of years to buy 50 pence and then they put everything else up by 70. And you think, it's like, give them, give them that and take back more. That's what I think. I mean, what we're saying here today is don't worry about the money, worry about health. And health, be it physical or mental, make the time to make sure you're well in body and in mind. Now, is there anything else anyone wants to say about the subject tonight or... Well, Kev, I think I've said a damn enough. <laughs> well, on, on Thursday, um, we're going to have... Um, it's going to be a light type of conversation, but you know, I want it to be a bit more serious, Cedric. We're going to be talking about the importance of amateur boxing. So if any coaches are out there or their kids or they box, please send some comments on, on Thursday at the same time, 7.30. Because amateur boxing, once it's gone, will never come back. And it's something... If our children don't have role models with your coaches and your teammates, 
they'll find role models. And I'll normally be the drug dealer at the end of the street. So let's keep on having positive role models this Thursday. But as a quote, and I'm going to quote a wise man called Del Boy Trotter from Only Falls and Horses. I don't like going to the doctors because every time I go there, he tells me I'm sick. <laughs> so until we see each other next time again, take care of yourselves and each other. Tarara bit. Listen, listen, listen. And that's a wrap for another show. But if there are any comments or messages that you would like us to read out for our next podcast, please be in touch. There are also lots of different organisations at the bottom of this page and hopefully they can help you or someone you care about. Please share this to spread the word. Until we talk next time, ta a bit. Listen, listen.